We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? Katie, Clan, and Fools on Spices. Yes, Katie is cooking some noobs out there, trying to explain to them what a double team is in the NBA. But, <laughs> but today, we're going to talk about NBA free agency some more. We're going to talk about some Nets targets at the guard position. Before we do that, as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. And Jack, before we talk about some targets, what do you think the Nets are looking in terms of you know, needs at these positions at the one at the two in that guard selection. Obviously we kind of dove into some of the nets on free agents in Spencer Dewey, Bruce Brown, Tyler Johnson, Mike James, Christioza on the last show. If you want to hear about them, you can jump into that. But today we're going to focus on the targets and Jack, what are they looking for in these targets? Yeah, I mean, the ideal is the the prototype of what, I guess, Spencer Dinwiddie is, Nick. Yeah. You know, if you're sort of looking at the market, you would almost say prioritize Spencer Dinwiddie's agent number one. You know, Nets in yep. four, as the, the man <laughs> said. Um, you know, he is a, a player that is a, an incredible facilitator, can get his own shot from the perimeter, great driver, good speed, nice athleticism, um, a really solid defender. All of those different you know, things here and there, you want that sort of versatile skill set to complement the superstars that we have. Obviously, maybe a higher defensive acumen, uh, maybe a higher level three-point shooting, uh, but those those guys are a dime a dozen. And, you know, Spencer Dimity does those things pretty well anyway. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Nets Twitter has been uh, trying to go after Josiah a little bit and to pay the man. Hopefully it does happen. Maybe it'll work. Um, and like you said, Jack, this is what I had in my list, and it kind of describes Spencer Dimity. Capable of running an offense, Ability of self-creation, defense, versatility, and shooting. You know what I mean? Maybe Spencer's not an elite shooter and he's not an elite defender, but he definitely checks those marks in terms of being capable. So ideally, you know, if they re-signed him, that would clean up a lot of things. They wouldn't necessarily have to target these guys. At this point, it seems unlikely Spencer's going to be back. So we're going to talk about some different guys. I guess, Jack, give me a point guard target you're looking at. Look, a point guard target I'm looking at, Nick, and I'll just throw a random one out there just to get some Aussie bias into the mix. Uh, Dante Exum. I know you've yep. got him on your sort of flyers list, but 
just the prototype that we've sort of been discussing a little bit. And obviously injury, an injury history, uh, an injury plague history for him, for Dante in his, in his career. Um, hopefully, I think the Olympics could be a, a nice little experience for him to get some reps, to go up against some elite competition, you know, to play alongside, you know, Paddy Mills, who's probably a guy that we'll discuss uh, in depth as well, you know, get some Aussie, Aussie love onto the Brooklyn Nets. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm all in, not necessarily all in on Dante Exum, but as a, a, a rotation piece, a guy who could give you something in a maybe slightly higher level than what a Tyler Johnson or Mike James can sort of give you, I think Dante has a lot of tools that would benefit the Brooklyn Nets. Really good athletically, um, has speed, uh, incredible wingspan, quality defensive acumen. Um, I, I don't mind what uh, Dante could provide the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, and I think it's realistic in terms of a veteran minimum. Just because you mentioned all the injuries, it's not like people are lining up to sign him. I like the size that he has. Defensively, he's definitely showed some pop. Specifically, back in the day on Utah against James Harden, I think he had some really good sequences. Uh, the questions with him more so, like you said, are the health. Also, the three-point shooting has been a little inconsistent. But when you're looking at a veteran minimum, guys, you definitely could go worse than Dante Axum. So I think, you know, this is a guy you consider in this situation. And there's also potential for him to be better. You know what I mean? He's He definitely hasn't capped out in the NBA in any way whatsoever. No, definitely not. Um, what do you got, Nick, on your list? Yeah, let's go back-to-back Aussies right here, you know? I'm back talking to my guy, Jack. Let's get another one on the Nets. You mentioned him, Patty Mills. This would probably be maybe my top target for the Nets behind Spencer Dooney in terms of being realistic. You know, championship experience, great three-point shooter, can give you that offensive pop, can be a secondary creator, but obviously the defense is a question mark a little bit up there in age as well. But still, I think Patty Mills would be a great fit, and I think he could also play really well uh, alongside James Harden with that second unit, given that he can be the secondary creator and he can depend on his three-point shooting. Yeah, definitely. Um, look, if anyone that's been watching, you know, the the boomers ball out right now, Paddy Mills looks like prime Michael Jordan whenever <laughs> he's putting on the, the green and gold. Uh, he is an absolute icon for Australian sport, not just basketball, uh, and indigenous culture for that matter too. He's a goddamn freaking legend, uh, Paddy Mills, no doubt about that. But yeah, I think, Nick, in terms of what Paddy Mills can be within the Brooklyn Nets system, you know, it's I, he could be a six-man-of-the-year candidate. You know, yeah. coming off the bench, and you look at the three-point shooting acumen, uh, he's, and I think defensively, he is where you probably go, oh, okay, we might lose a little bit here. But in the games and in a, in a system like San Antonio has provided him, you know, he can be pesky. He's got, you know, he's, he's a feisty little, feisty kind of guy um, down low, and, and sort of he can guard guys, you know, full court and whatever. But yeah, I think the the number one prime skill you're getting out of um, the Aussie legend is that three point shooting acumen, the ability to move off screens. You know, I, I could just imagine you know some DHO actions uh, happening quite a bit with KD, you know, a bit of two man game there, or if we get a quality big, you know, whether it's you know clacks or whatever, uh, some lineups with those two, I think would be a lot of fun. I just think that you know in terms of what the market is right now, and you know the the sort of value that you would get out of Paddy Mills. The amount of open looks that he would get, uh, you know, I, I think he provides a level of re reliability, uh, leadership, uh, all of the sort of chemistry things that I think you want uh, in a in a contending team. He provides that in spades, and uh, it'd be good to see him in uh, now black and white uh, rather than the San Antonio black and white. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I, do you think it's realistic to acquire him with you know the taxpayer mid level exception, which is probably around like five point eight to six? 
Yeah, look, I think that it depends on the the rest of the market. You know, what yep. what is Dallas going to do? Uh, what is Toronto going to do? What are all these other teams going to do? And look, their priorities may lie elsewhere. And I think San Antonio would be wise to sort of go all in with their use and their young guards. You know, Dejounte Murray, Derek White, um, or Lonnie Walker. It's already cluttered there for Patty. But I, I, I'll at the same time to look at it, the the shoe on the other foot. You know, he loves pop. He loves yep. San Antonio. Um, the the amount of respect and cachet he has within that organization um, is uh, to the highest degree. And you know, he could. Uh, it would not surprise me if <clears throat> if he finds a deal in San Antonio remains a spur for life. And and I think goes down. You know, not in the same breath as you know Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Tim Duncan. But I think he's going to have a incredible level of respect from that organization if he already does. And you know, when the when his career is behind him, if he does. Uh, choose to stay in San Antonio. Um, he's going to be a San Antonio legend. And hopefully uh, that isn't the case. He does head to BK. Um, but the money, look, he is aging. You know, he's in his mid-30s now. Uh, you know, his best basketball is certainly behind him. But he's proving that he is going to age well. And I think that, you know, we're seeing Chris Paul produce at a high level. You know, LeBron James, obviously. It seems to me that, you know, the quote-unquote 30 curse um, I think that in modern basketball and in modern sport, we're seeing athletes buck that trend. And I certainly think Patty Mills can continue to do that as well. Yeah, especially in a limited role. You know, he'd be coming off the bench. Like you said, defense is kind of a question at times, but he'd be, he wouldn't be asked to close. You know what I mean? And he could definitely give them some offensive pop. And maybe the connection to Sean Marks, Diago Splitter, I believe, is still on the staff as well. Maybe that can kind of help sway him over and just getting another shot at a championship. You know, he's won a chip with San Antonio, so maybe he's looking to do it again with Brooklyn. Definitely something to consider and a guy that I think would fit in nicely, especially with the culture too. Absolutely. I think, yeah, the, uh, as I mentioned, the culture and the chemistry that he would bring uh, you could just imagine, you know, I, I can imagine him and Kyrie having some some pretty awesome, intense conversations about both of their you know, indigenous communities. I think that yep. um, I can imagine some some great content and, you know, get the ghost to on the Etcetera's podcast or the Brooklyn Buzz. Um, <laughs> you know, open invites always there. You know, Kyrie's having an awesome offseason. Um, but yeah, uh, Patty Mills uh, would be a, a wonderful Brooklyn net if, if you choose to go that way. 100%. Jack, who else you got? Um, let me just take a little bit of a scroll through it because there's, I mean, we, was it Justin that mentioned TJ McConnell uh, as a yep. possible option uh, on our last pod? Justin brought up a, a lot of interesting names. How gettable do you think he is, Nick? You know, is, does that depend on, you know, uh, more Indiana and what they choose to do, you know, with, you know, Karis Levert, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, these sort of guys, you know, the ho uh, holiday, um, where do you think TJ McConnell lies within Indiana and how does that affect, you know, a possible Brooklyn Nets move? Yeah, I feel like it's pretty likely for him to stay in Indiana, you know, being uh, having a career year and they can offer him more than a veteran minimum, which I think if I'm the Nets, I wouldn't necessarily pay TJ McConnell the taxpayer mid-level exception. I just don't think he checks enough boxes and he's not typically the type of player where I think is going to be the difference in a championship. I think he'd be a nice ad if they can get him, but it seems like, Indiana's a good fit for him, and they'd probably want to keep him considering he was one player who actually played well for them last season. Yeah, he showed a level of consistency that you want out of, you know, role players. Quite yep. Time after time again, we talked about defense. You know, maybe TJ McConnell, at least numbers-wise, when you look at the, the sort of steel numbers, TJ McConnell is, uh, TJ McConnell, sorry, is one of the best defending point guards 
on this list. Uh, and, and I think that what he could provide, you know, the, the Brooklyn Nets uh, would be a, a real boost on that end of the floor when you've got, you know, Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Now, Kyrie Irving showed a, a level of defensive, you know, chops that I thought was, you know, awesome throughout the postseason and the regular season, especially in the absence of the two superstars, you know, the leadership and and drive and, and, and execution that he showed on that end of the floor uh, left me with a, a really high level of confidence. Yeah. But you add in a TJ McConnell, it lessens the burden, you know, of a, of a Kyrie on the perimeter. And, you know, TJ can, you know, fight and be scrappy and, and do all the things that has him as basically, you know, a, an all-defensive caliber guard at the position. Yeah, I think the real issue, I think, when I look at TJ McConnell is probably more so the offense. You know, not a great three-point shooter. You know, hasn't averaged over a three-point attempt, one three-point attempt a game since his rookie year. Has shot around 30, 32% from three on his career. Offensively, he's more effective when he has the ball in his hands and he's creating a little bit which would probably be very limited on the Nets if he's playing with Kyrie or James Harden or Kevin Durant. So that's definitely something to consider. And I just have maybe a slight concern. You know, he's solid defensively on ball against other guards, but in a switching scheme, he's definitely, you know, even more undersized than a Kyrie Irving, you know, 6'1", 190 pounds. I'm not sure how he could really hold up. So I think the fit is more so questionable with TJ McConnell. If you were signing him to be, you know, like your third guard that you were only playing sporadically, I think he'd probably make a little bit more sense for the net. So I could see why people would want to add him to Brooklyn, but I also could see why people would be a little bit alarmed at first. Yeah, for, for sure. I think that he's not the the ideal fit, but the the guards on this market, it's about weighing their their their, their skills, their strengths, and their weaknesses. And, yep. You know the strengths of TJ McConnell. You know you can when you have superstar talent, it hides a lot of the weaknesses of your teammates around you. A hundred percent. Another guy who's has experience playing with superstars, specifically one that's been on the Nets, is Austin Rivers. You know, he's played with James Harden, has had, you know, some scoring pop, plays with a lot of effort, is willing to kind of understand his role, and is a guy that could step up when other injuries happen. So Austin Rivers would be a possibility and also another guy that can be had at the veteran minimum. Yeah, I think that you you look at you know, guys who have a history, you know, with the, the current superstar teammates, and, you know, we've got Jeff Green on the team. You know, you look at Andre Robeson, you know, has had a tryout among Shumper with Kyrie Irving. You know, it, it seems to me that the the superstars have a say in how the roster is constructed. Yeah. So Austin Rivers, you know, depending on how his relationship still is with James Harden, I can't imagine it being in it being too bad. I, I think would be a nice little fit. You know, not only what he did in Denver, where you know he took the last shot in a game where you know Nikola Jokic was still on the bench and had some some really nice postseason moments, showed you reliability that I think the Brooklyn Nets could sorely need, especially in, the, in all the injuries that they did have this postseason. Uh, and also did a really nice job uh, in, you know, the contending team, you know, across the, the bridge in, in the New York Knicks. So, he, you know, he knows what the New York environment is yeah. like, you know, how much did he enjoy it? You know, he's, maybe, does he still have a, a place that he's renting in Manhattan or, or around the New York area? Uh, you know, I, I think that Austin Rivers would be a, a pretty solid fit. You know, you, you obviously look at, you know, the, the veteran experience as well. He's got those reps under him. Uh, I think just it would be uh, a pretty nice fit all around. Yeah, and I think I like the idea of him having the potential to step up if needed. Like, he's obviously not a guy that you want to depend on, but, like, let's say somebody goes down for two games and you need Austin Rivers to give you 15 points instead of five. Like, that's a realistic expectation that could happen. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Who else you got on your list? Because I think yours is a bit more extensive than mine. You've done a, a bit more research, seeing as the fact that uh, you've had a little bit more uh, internet and Wi-Fi <laughs> access than I've had the, the past couple of days. 
Jack's been uh, up in the mountains. But uh, <laughs> we uh, are looking at Nets killer Ish Smith. You know, experience running an offense, experience in the NBA, can attack a little bit. He is a limited shooter, but I feel like he's improved, and he's just a guy that can step up. He played pretty well, I think, for Washington in the postseason. Obviously not a sexy name, but again, we're working with the veteran minimum here in a lot of situations. I think you could, you'd be pretty happy with Ishmith being that guy you signed. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, if it's you know uh, a guy who's had experience getting some buckets here and there, yep. <clears throat> played with KD's former teammate um, in Russell yep. Westbrook as well. The one thing that worries me about Ish Smith, Nick, is just his liabilities on the defensive end yep. and where the Nets' weaknesses do lie is that, especially in the backcourt. Now, again, I mentioned what I said about James Harden. You know, we know about his post defense. We know about Kyrie Irving and the effort and exit and engagement that he can show on that, on that level of the floor. But you want a sense of, you know, steadiness in your other backcourt sort of rotation guys. And look, Ish Smith has a, a nice level of speed that I think would be uh, of value to the Brooklyn Nets as well. Um, and if you're looking at, you know, vet minimums and he's willing to take that, uh, then Ish Smith would be a, a really nice fit and sort of like, you know, eight or nine, maybe yep. seven and a half in the rotation. Yeah, and I think you also were thinking about it too. If the Nets are fully healthy, like a lot of these guys were not necessarily asking to run the offense or be consistent on a regular basis because they're more of an extra piece. In some games, they might not even play. You know, if Harden's running that second unit, you might just surround him with shooters and other role players on this team. So I think, you know, Ish Smith could find a niche with this team and has another guy that I think has the ability to step up offensively. And I think that's kind of what I was looking at a little bit with some of the point guards is almost a safety net, you know, because I think maybe I'm scarred from this postseason with Kyrie and James Harden going down, just having somebody who can step up and be competent and playable in the playoffs. No disrespect to the other guards in the Nets, but they weren't able to get up that level. And we, you know, saw what happened. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Yeah, you know, he's a, a pretty reliable guy when it comes to his health for the most part. Yep. Nick, is there any world where the, the Brooklyn Nets could acquire Miami Heat guard Goran Dragic? I mean, I guess if the team options declined by Miami and he's looking for a championship and he wants to win, you know, the Nets could essentially give him the taxpayer mid-level exception. You know, I don't know if that'd be the best use of it because I don't think point guard is a true need but Dragic is a good player he had a little bit of a decline last year in comparison to the the bubble portion in which he was amazing for the heat so I think it could happen would I expect it to happen probably not I think a team like Dallas and the connection with Luka would make a lot more sense or even just one of these younger teams that maybe strike out in the Dame Lillard package or they're just looking for a starting level point guard to pass over time Dragic would make more sense and he seems like a guy that would probably want to have a bigger role which I don't think he would have with the Nets yeah, look, he's a, a genuine, generally a, a pretty much a starter for that Heat team when the games do start to matter, you know, in the postseason stuff. And and that's why I asked because, you know, there were times in last year's postseason where Goran Dragic was their number one 1A guy when it came to scoring uh, and are going up against a, a Lakers team, which is an incredible defensive unit. So yeah. you, you've got a level of, of, of reliability when it comes to the ability to create his own shot, create his own shot for others. Uh, a, a vet, a guy who just has done it all uh, around the league. You know, it's sort of just a seamless fit when it comes to those contending sort of teams. You know, uh, the the world where I see where Dragic could head to the Brooklyn Nets is, like you said, Nick, if he prioritizes winning over everything, he's got all the, the monies that he's needed. 
and the market around him has, you know, dried up. You know, Dallas decides to go a different direction or, or they, you know, get in the Kawhi or Dame sweepstakes or something like that. And and other teams just don't necessarily suit him as much. And maybe he goes a, a one-year vet minimum deal, gets a chip and decides to go elsewhere. Yeah. Now, there's a world where it could happen. Not sure how likely it is. Uh, but Goran Dragic, his, his skill set, his offensive production, um, his veteran experience, his leadership, I think would be a pretty good fit if the Nets were somehow to luck out and get him. Yeah, I wouldn't give it a 0% chance. I'll say that. Like, I think it's not out of the realm of possibilities. So, you know, anything could happen, especially if the market is weird and somebody wants to win a championship. The only other two guys I really had, you know, this is kind of under my flyers category where I'm not sure what to expect out of these guys. It would be Chris Dunn and Frank Nilakina. And then I also had your guy Dante Exum, which we talked about before. You know, Chris Dunn, injury-ridden season last year. It felt like he barely played at all. You know, very, very limited minutes for the Hawks. And Frank Nilakina, that obviously hasn't worked out with the Knicks. Both guys have shown the ability, though, to play, you know, elite defense and really disrupt on that end of the floor. Yeah, but nothing think- on offense. <laughs> No, yeah, and and I think you look at what Bruce Brown has produced in Brooklyn right now and sort of go, you know, if Chris Dunn and or, um, uh, who was the other name, sorry, Nick? Frank Nilakina. Frank Nilakina, given those opportunities, could they produce to a similar extent? Maybe not to to the level and, you know, that Bruce showed us this season, but I think they would be given the opportunities because Steve is, is willing to go into the rotation. There are going to be injuries throughout the season. He's, he's shown a willingness to experiment, and I don't hate those names. You know, I was pretty in on when we were doing last year's sort of free agency. I was all in on the, the Chris Dunn experience yep. before he decided to take a deal in Atlanta. I just thought that him next to Kyrie Irving, then I thought would be a, a pretty wicked combination. And I thought that what he did in Chicago a couple of years ago, you know, showing that he's got a little bit more offensive chops. His three-point shot isn't totally broken. Um, and you could basically have you know an, an offensive negative when you've got that level of offensive positives uh, and pluses with, with the superstars and Joe Harris when he's on his game. Um, and the rest of the guys, for that matter, too. So, yeah, I, I don't. I'm, I think that both of those guys, if they were to be, you know, let go by their respective teams and decide to, you know, test out the the free agency market, uh, the Brooklyn Nets to add them into the rotation. You know, I think that as Flyers, the defensive skills is what they provide. And is it do you provide that more over offense and bucket getting as as KD loves, uh, veteran experience, these sort of things. You know, adding him into rotation as a flyer, uh, I don't think could hurt whatsoever. Yeah, and I think I look at Frank Nilakina a little bit more than Chris Dunn just because of his size, where you're not necessarily signing him to be a point guard. You're just signing him to be, like, a versatile defender. You know, he's only listed at 6'4", 6'5". I swear watching him, it feels like he's 6'7", because his wingspan is so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, we've seen him, like, disrupt the hell out of D'Angelo Russell, you know, disrupt that of some other Nets players with that length. And like you said you're able to hide a guy on the floor like that a little bit easier. I think Chris Dunn, like you said, is probably more competent offensively. Like he's had some okay offensive moments where Frank Nilakina is like a fresh project. But again, Frank is only 22 years old right now. He's turning uh, 23 in a couple days. But it's, like you said, a flyer's on these guys. It's not like you're depending on them to win you a championship or play rotation minutes. It's like if they play well, it just gives us another tool on the bench, another defensive weapon. Especially if you have to go against Trey Young, you know, moving forward. Obviously, I don't think Frank played much in that series. He hasn't really wasn't really in the Knicks rotation, but you know, Chris Dunn obviously was on the Hawks too. So these are guys that you can throw at some of these up and coming guards if they're able to get up to that NBA playoff level. 
Yeah, no doubt. You know, if you've gone up against, you know, the, the Warriors and, and Steph and you've got, um, you know, Devin Booker and, and the Suns. So, yep. yeah, I think that there's a, a, a lot. It's a, it's a great guard league, you know, and right now, you know, guard defense um, isn't necessarily at a premium, but it's, it's, it's pretty close to it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What a final name, I guess, at the point guard, Nick, I wanted to throw at you. It's a bit of a random one. Brad Wanamaker. Any any love for, for Big Braddy? Yeah, I think Brad Wanamaker kind of fits like he's a point guard, I guess, by name and by position, but he's more so as like a typical role player. Just does some of those like hustle things out there. Can create maybe a touch, but, you know, 
I could see the Nets signing one of that minimum and him not really playing, but just being like an option on the bench. Obviously had some good moments with Boston. Things didn't really work out with Golden State for him, but not a terrible name. I'm not really sure what to expect from him because like you typically see a lot of players in Boston under Brad Stevens play well. And then after they leave, they just like fall off a cliff. He feels like he could be one of those guys. Possibly, you know, obviously that season, he is obviously a vet right now heading into his age 32 season. You know, that season that you mentioned with the Boston Celtics, you know, 93% from the free throw line, you know, 48% from the field, 30, over 36% from three, uh, nearly seven points a game, uh, a steal there as well. You know, I, I think that as a, when the, the Golden State Warriors signed him last year, I was like, oh man, they got a steal here. Yep. And, you know, Steve Kerr, the way he handles his rotation can sometimes be a little bit, you know, mismatched. And, and maybe that's, you know, probably closer to what Steve Nash is as a coach than what Brad Stevens is as a coach. Yep. You know, uh, it, it's it's unfair to probably generalize. But, yeah, uh, look, as, as a guy, you sort of, you know, Tyler Johnson in the rotation, you know, if they were to lose him, you know, replace him with Brad Wanamaker. Now, I did, was he on the team? No, he wasn't on the team uh, when, Ky oh, no, 2018-19, Kyrie was still in the Boston Celtics. Am I correct? I believe so. Yeah, every, well, every, the seasons are so hard to remember because of the bubble. <laughs> yeah, no, there's like a, three seasons in one. But it, it, either way, you know, I think the Brad Wanamaker wouldn't be the worst that minimum guy. You know, Ish Smith and and I guess Nick of those lesser names that we did mention, who would be I guess your ideal guy to add? Is it you know one of the young guys in in Dunn or? Or, or, or Nila Kino, or is it you know a, a more veteran sort of dude uh, that we've uh, outlined? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Patty Mills would be the top choice if they're going for the vet men guys. Honestly, I think Austin Rivers might be the name just because I know what to expect from him in these type of situations in this type of specific role and obviously has the experience in playing in bigger games. Um, if it was the Flyers, I'd probably go after Frank Nilakina because, you know, I've just always had a thing for him and his defense that he can play and what he can do out there. And I think there is still potential for the kid being only 22 years old. Yeah, the way you're in on Nilla Kina is the way that I've been on Chris Dunn. Yep. You know, everyone has their, their, their weird fixations on, on certain guards and such. And yeah, and look, we sort of see, we saw, you know, how I guess important that the guards were because, you know, Kyrie Irving obviously doesn't really play 82 games a season. James Harden now has, you know, he's heading into his, his early 30s and has a hamstring injury. So that's going to be something to manage throughout the season. You know, we know that the Nets do manage their guys, you know, whether it be rest or, or, or whatever else it is. So the the guys that are there in your, in your Mike James, your Chris Chioses, your Tyler Johnsons, throughout the regular season, they get their opportunities. Yeah. And, and they are going to get to their, their chances to shine in some way or another. You know, that Phoenix Suns game, um, you know, one of the games of the year for the Brooklyn Nets, Tyler Johnson was huge in that matchup. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd like for them probably to keep Tyler Johnson, but I think you also look at the idea, a lot of it depends on what happens with Spencer Dinwiddie. If you lose Spencer Dinwiddie, you really need to get you know, a Patty Mills and Austin Rivers or an Ish Smith, somebody who's actually capable of running an offense like Chris Dunn, Frank Nilakina, you know, some of the other guys we've mentioned, I'm not sure how capable they are of running an offense and actually scoring in the playoffs, where I think you definitely want to make sure you get that point guard safety net. And it's not somebody you hope to depend on. Even, honestly, a name we didn't mention, Jeff Teague. Like, if Jeff Teague is your third oh, guard. I hate Jeff Teague, man. I know, I, everyone hates him, but, like. so out on Jeff Teague and the Jeff Teague experience. And, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, you need, but you need like a real point guard. Like this, is what happened to the Nets this year? They literally didn't a have a point guard. Like I would prefer, like almost just to keep Chris. Like the 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 level. I think between... Jeff Teague is more playable than Chris Chioza and probably Mike James at this point. In I don't terms know of, 
Well, what you, like, Mike James is so sporadic, though. He's, like, really good, and then he's really bad, where Jeff Teague is just, like, probably just consistently just below really average. Just no, really I would bad. just say he's consistently below average. Like, he's had some okay moments. Not, not like, amazing or anything. He's a vet. Yeah, no, okay. I, I get what you're saying, and, and it's rare that we disagree this strongly. It's just that... I don't uh, – I think the, the difference between whether, like, you know, I get that, you know, the, we love our floor and ceiling discussions and such, and, you know, the, the veteran experience allows you to know, the, you know, the difference between your best and your worst. But, you know, there was a game where Mike James was important in the playoffs for the Brooklyn Nets. Is Jeff T ever going to give you that? Like, I would rather bank on, you know, a, a guy's upside and, and ability in, in that respect than sort of, you know – I guess the the low low basement of it all, and, and I guess that's maybe because I know you know it's better. We've got an affiliation with Mike James already, or at least most of us do, except for you, Nick. Um, <laughs> and, and, and and we you know we love cheese, and I, I agree. Jeff Tig over, over Chris Chioza uh, makes much more sense. And uh, but in in terms of Mike James, I don't know. Maybe it's just the maybe I'm 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 getting lost in the source a little bit of what he did. Um, in you know occasional performances and maybe his worst was so bad um, that I'm just I'm totally lost in it all. But I, I don't know. I'm just Jeff. Teague I mean, for it me. depends more on what Steve Nash thinks. If Steve Nash like can't play you in like a game five, six, or seven, and your team desperately needs to get some type of like minutes or rotation from somebody, like that's where it is. I mean, I don't want Jeff Teague, but that's just kind of an example of like a worst case scenario of an experienced point guard that can actually do something on the floor, like dribble the basketball and pass the basketball. Where like Mike James at times just thinks that he's like MJ or Kobe and he just like goes down the floor and what, like what are the initials, Nick, man. What are the initials, man? Come on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly though. But you know what I mean? Like he, he just like does this thing where it's just like not in the flow and that can either be awesome or it can be absolutely terrible. So, I mean, ideally I don't want any of these names. I would rather have Austin rivers or Ish Smith, or obviously I'd rather have Patty Mills or ideally I'd have Spencer Dinwiddie come back. But I think the Nets need to cover themselves and having, uh, someone on the end of the roster that they feel comfortable playing in a playoff game in the case of emergency. Not saying that you're going in and expecting to play this guy, but you need to have at least the option because you know, like you said, Kyrie doesn't play 82 games. Hamstring injuries are not fun. I'm not sh- not like super confident James Harden playing all 82 games and maintaining his health. You want to just have somebody that you can put out in the playoffs where you're like, okay, this guy is not going to look like a deer in the headlights and is not going to lose me the quarter. Yeah, I really hope like Tyler Johnson does stay because if we're talking about Tyler Johnson's departure and Jeff Teague uh, as an incoming Brooklyn Net, um, it's going to be a at least from my end a pretty depressing Brooklyn Buzz uh, podcast uh, for that episode. But yeah, I guess uh, it's all about you know the how the the machinations of the rest of the roster do work out. But I guess we'll jump to the shooting guards, Nick. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Jack, anybody at the top of your list for the shooting guards? I'm sort of just scrolling through, you know, hoops up and what they've got, Nick. And right now, I, I'm kind, not necessarily locked in on this name, but it intrigues me because it's intrigued me in the past. Josh Richardson. Now, he oh. obviously does have a player option. Now, I think it's about 10 to $12 million, somewhere around that sort of range. So it is, you know, a decent enough, you know, uh, in terms of the, the monetary value you get from it. Uh, I think he his season this year with Dallas was, left a lot to be desired. And I think a lot of that was covid um, I, I think we don't discount that. I don't. I certainly don't discount that by any stretch of the imagination. But when we talk about at the start of this pod about the prototype of the player that we could get or that we the Nets would want, Josh Richardson ticks a lot of those boxes, does he not? Yeah. No. I think Josh Richardson would be awesome. I think 
the chances of the Nets acquiring are what make it tough. You know, I think if the Nets were to acquire Josh Richardson, it'd be more likely to happen to Spencer Dinwiddie sign and trade. So that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, where that option's picked up. I think it's a team option by da- Oh, no, I think it's a player option. Wow. It's a yeah. player option. Yeah. So he, I think he's going to accept it because, like you said, last year was not good for him. And if he hit the open market, I'm not sure what his numbers would be like. So I think. I would. I think the fit is great. I think it's just more so the sign and trade is more likelihood than uh, outright signing. Yeah, you're sort of getting a lot of what Spencer Dinwiddie does with the maybe a lesser version offensively, but a higher level defensively. You know, he talked about you know when we sort of saw you know him in Philadelphia, it was just like man, this defense is going to be crazy. And then you know Josh Richardson was one of the uh, the few guys to sort of speak out and say, look, this, this chemistry here is just like you know way off whack. You know, it's and that's where one thing I think he would probably fit in quite well. You know, the the Brooklyn Nets and we're sort of seeing the leadership from Kai, from from James and KD. They embrace the role players and and they have a level of trust in them uh, that that you want from you guys. You got the trust of the superstars. You know, James Harden's calling Joe Harris the best shooter in the league. You know, Kyrie Irving's hi- uh, highlighting. Mike James as, as a bucket getter. You know, that's the level of confidence and trust that you want from them. And th- th- those are the, the opinions that matter. It doesn't necessarily matter, you know, from two white dudes talking about on a, on a Brooklyn Nets podcast. Um, it, it, it's about, you know, what the team necessarily thinks. And, you know, I've, I've sort of always been a fan. And there was times last year where I'm like, hmm, Josh Richardson or Spencer Dinwiddie. And I think we discussed it pretty at length as well before he did decide to sign uh, in Dallas as well. Woody, I, I, I've got a bit of faith in him in, in bouncing back as well, having a bit of an off-season to, you know, get his legs back and hopefully all the, the COVID after-effects and, and, and everything do subside, um, you know, for him and, and everyone else who's had to go through uh, um, that as well. I just, I'm really intrigued by it. And, you know, I think the sign-and-trade is, like you said, the, the most likely proposition. But the general free agency market is a little weak right now. And, you know, Josh Richardson hasn't made all the money in the world. You know, if he opts in and then maybe goes for a deal next season, that's probably a more likely path to him getting a payday. But maybe he has a, a level of faith in his own abilities to get maybe another similar deal to what he got this season. You know, in terms of the the guard list right now, you know, he'd be pretty high up on it if he were to opt out and head out into free agency. At least we know what the best version of Josh Richardson is. You know, the Miami days, he was their best player. And now his you know, role has been shrunk somewhat. On the Brooklyn Nets, it's a it's a near perfect fit. Yeah, I think he'd be great on the Nets because his role would be so identified, you know, and what he needs to do, and it would fit his skill set. But also, I think if he went to the open market, I'm I think teams would be able to offer a little bit more than the Nets because the best they could do is I think three years around like 18 million with that taxpayer mid level exception. So that's where it kind of gets tough. But I mean, if you wanted to just come here and get a chip, that I wouldn't be opposed. So, uh, like, like we said, though, I think the sign and trade is a real possibility. But um, yeah. let's see, Jack. Do you think? Um, I don't know what you think about this name in general, or if you think it's realistic. What about Danny Green? Yeah, literally, it was my next name on the list. Next name on the hoops hype list as well, Nick. So, I the rumors that I've heard of late is that the Philadelphia 76ers aren't keen on getting him back. Have you heard the same things? Yeah, it seemed, I mean, I've seen some stuff from our guy, Alex, who's mentioned, you know, possibly some sign-in trades. Obviously, they don't really have any rights to him or anything along those lines. So, and I, it just feels like the Sixers want to make some changes. You know what I mean? It just feels like they kind of want to spice things up. So, I would not be surprised if they didn't bring him back. It's not like they have a ton of cap space either. I can just imagine Danny Green. I, I can actually envision it so vividly 
the Danny Green experience as a Brooklyn Net would be like Alan Crabb 2.0, Joe Harris 3.0 put together the amalgamation and the playoff games and the reliability. You know, it's like you get San, like half San Antonio version of Danny Green where he's hitting like seven threes a night. And then like in game two games later, he's like, oh, of 10. Yep. <laughs> it's reliability. You, you expect reliability from those sort of vet guys the most and guys we've talked about on this podcast. And you get that in terms of not necessarily offensive production with Danny Green. Yep. You know, he's a solid enough defender. You know, he had a, a, tough, a pretty tough time guarding Trey Young, but most guys would. But, you know, in the, the net switching system, I think would suit him quite well. Um, you know, his three-point acumen, you know, is, you know, it's proven. But, you know, and, and I think he had a decent enough postseason before he did get injured as well. Um, I, I, in terms of, you know, the, the role he would play, you know, in, in the Brooklyn Nets scheme, I think would be pretty solid. If the Nets could acquire him in, you know, he's saying a lot about, you know, his current teammates in Philadelphia. Maybe that, you know, puts off, you know, Doc Rivers. Maybe that puts off, you know, Joel B. doesn't want, you know, him talking about on his podcast and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, maybe we could have a crossover with Danny Green and whatever his podcast name. Haven't listened to many episodes of it. But in terms of the the fit overall, it, it is intriguing because, look, he's a he's a 40.5% three-point shooter this season. That is ideal for the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, if Joe Harris doesn't have it going on, you know, surely Danny Green does, right? No, but it's happened to us before. We've been burnt by Alan Crabb. So, look, uh, I, it's, it does intrigue me, Nick. I'm not, I'm not sure how positively or negatively intrigues me. I'm just sort of like, I'm sitting on the fence, got my glasses on, you know, just sort of reading the book and just keeping an eye on it, keeping an eye yeah, on it. I think, like, he's a safe option. Like you said, the offense is inconsistent. The three-point shooting, the stats look great. Like you said, the 40% this year, 40% career from three, 38% career from three in the playoffs. Uh, defensively, he's probably lost a step on ball. I think off ball, he still does some pretty good te- uh, things in terms of your team defense. And he'd also just give the Nets another a little bit more size. You know, 6-6, can defend twos, defend some threes. And really gives you a potential closer, not saying he'd be a guy you'd close with, but let's say you get hit with two or three injuries like you did this year. He's he's competent enough and he's experienced enough where you'd feel okay with him closing a game and he would just give you another body to throw out somebody a la Chris Middleton. Yeah, you could just envision him on this year's Brooklyn Nets as like the fifth starter. You know, yeah. you could you would actually have the the capabilities to go, all right, Joe, we're yanking you. Danny's gonna be playing yep. you know, the important minutes and such. So yeah, as a sort of four to six player in the rotation, maybe seven, depending on, you know, where his game continues to age. You know, I think the three-point shot will likely remain. I think it'll be streaky, not necessarily at the the consistent level, because I think that that's been the Danny Green experience overall throughout his career. Um, But the defense has always been solid enough. I think he's obviously losing a little bit of athleticism. But maybe, you know, I, I think defense is one thing that, you know, when it comes to intelligence and IQ, can can sometimes make up for it, and and that's where I think Danny Green, you know, might not get enough kudos. You know, he is a quite a smart player uh, when it comes to the defensive end of the floor and the ability to you know push guys you know to their opposite side and you know stay in front of them and, and all those sort of little things. Yeah, and the Sixers asked them to play a lot of minutes. You know, in comparison to the year he played with the Lakers, he played about sixteen hundred minutes. With the Sixers, he played nineteen hundred minutes and only played one more game. So, you know, that's just something to consider. You're asking him, like you said, Jack, he'd probably be at best your fifth starter, at worst, like your eighth or ninth man, like somebody that would be on the team that you wouldn't necessarily have to depend on. 
I think he would probably take the taxpayer mid-level exception, and that's where it kind of gets into a discussion. Do you want to add a player like him? Do you want to give that money to Jeff Green? Is that the Green that you'd rather have? So, Or is Jeff Green getting other offers? So I think it kind of it's a more complicated acquisition than what it seems. Like I think fit-wise, it makes a lot of sense. And I also do think that taking away a piece from a, a, a contender in your own conference, in your own division, would also be, you know, a, a bit of a nice swipe to the Philadelphia 76ers because, yep. you know, they're a contending team, you know, despite the fact that, you know, there's everything that's going on. You know, my boy Benny Simmons is having a lot of fun <laughs> with uh, Maya Jammer at Wimbledon right now, but, you know, good good for him, um, even though he should be playing uh, alongside Paddy Mills, Dante Exum with the Boomers. That's a discussion for, for JVT that I've had extensively, but... Yeah, I think that that's one thing that you sort of look at and go, look, if you could take the, it's, it's, you take a guy, when we talk about a lot in, in the buyout market, you know, you can acquire a guy that a contending team can't get. You take a player away from a team yeah. that you've been going up against and you lessen their rotation to increase your own, the, the addition by subtraction uh, is massive. Yeah, I think especially, too, because it kind of just like Danny Green's like another defensive piece they'd have in terms of a matchup against the Nets. Obviously, they still have Matisse Thybul and Ben Simmons as of right now. But Danny Green would give them that like another defender to have to throw out one of the big three or something along those lines. I'm kind of interested to see what his market's like in general, though. It'll be intriguing. Nick, um, Alec Burks, Alec Burks um, obviously had a, a pretty epic season with the New York yep. Knicks. Is there any way that the Brooklyn Nets could, you know, sweeten him uh, with uh, the the aspirations of uh, of a championship, the Larry O'B uh, across the bridge? You know, I feel like he'd be a guy that'd probably be looking to get some type of like payday. I don't yeah. think he's ever really cashed out on a big contract. I'm going to take a look at his career earnings in a second, but it seems like he, you know, he had some big moments in the postseason. Uh, the Knicks probably have no reason to really let him go at this point in time. So I think he might be out of the Nets' price range. Or he might just be looking to kind of have a bigger role. You know, he's had, it looks like, one good contract where he's made 9, 10, 10, and 11. Last year, he, he was on a vet minimum. So, you know, I would look at him as a possibility. Uh, I think it would be more so because he's not getting the co- type of contracts he wants, and he wants an opportunity to actually win a championship. Yeah, 60, 60 mil in his career earnings. You know, lethal three-point shooter. You know, over 41, nearly 42%. Uh, from the perimeter. So, yeah, and obviously what he did in the postseason for the Knicks is something, you know, that most of have talked about. You know, championship teams, you want reliable rotation guys. You know, Danny Green, Alec Burks, Josh Richardson. You pretty you, you pretty much know what you're going to get with those dudes. And, you know, even at their worst, they're still going to contribute in some form or fashion. Yeah, and Burks can get you a bucket. You know what I yeah. mean? Like in a situation where there were injuries, he would check one of the safety net boxes. You know what I mean? Just because he's a guy that in a bigger role could definitely pop off a little bit for the team. So I'm not opposed to that. I just think that there'll probably be more interest and more money thrown at him than what the Nets can offer. True, true. Wayne Ellington, Nick, is a, you know, a, a three-point marksman that I'm sure would fit seamlessly in the, the Brooklyn Nets situation. And I guess a similar sort of mold of, of J.J. Redick if, if you had, you know, both of these guys on, you know, in front of you and you could sign either one, you know, no restrictions um, on either of them, who are you picking? You know, former Brooklynette, Wayne Ellington, um, I think he would probably be my choice just because he's younger and I think he's probably more competent defensively. I think JJ probably offers you more offensively, but you're looking at this team and you're getting down to this position. 
you'd probably hope that your big three is not injured, and this is a guy that's more so complimenting them. And I think Wayne Ellington, not a great defender, not even a good defender, at least could has enough size to him that where he could do something out there. But I think really for either of those guys, Wayne Ellington or J.J. Redick, you don't necessarily look to acquire them unless you're trading Shamit or Harris or have plans to do so. Yeah, look, and, and if it is that the market is so bare and sparse and sparse or sparse, however you say it, then if you're adding one of these guys at the end of the rotation, you know, you're just adding a guy because once I think you get both are to, vet minimums, to be honest. Yeah, once you get to eight to eleven, you know, you're not getting Jeff Green vet minimums. Yeah, um, I don't, Lightning isn't necessarily going to strike twice, or maybe it does. You know, Sean Mark seems to to find a way uh, with those sort of guys, but yeah, I, I think that. Uh, having, you know, Joe Harris insurance, you know, in, in some form or fashion, you know, given what we did see uh, this postseason, wouldn't be the worst thing. And also it gives you insurance in the sense of a trade. Like if you have a trade maybe at the deadline, you feel more comfortable pulling the trigger knowing that you have, you know, Ellington and Shamit to fill in that role a little bit more. Yeah, big time. And, you know, Joe Harris with, with that sort of $18, $19 million package with whoever else, you know, you know, Damian Lillard isn't coming <laughs> to Brooklyn, ladies and gents, but um, you know, you could maybe find some other piece. Yeah, you definitely could find some other guys. Talking about another former Brooklyn net, what about the return of Garrett Temple? You know, obviously, basic level of offense, basic level of defense, great locker room guy, gives you versatility, can play the one or the two. And I think he'd also be comfortable playing or not playing. And he's kind of filled. I want to say he's a safety net because he can't give you the offensive pop that some of the other guys can give you, but definitely a nice piece that can fill in a lot of different roles. I was sad to see him leave Brooklyn, Nick. And, you know, I, I sort of accused Joe He was Joe low key one of your boys. Yeah, yeah, he was a little bit. You know, I was, you know, I, I accused Joe Sy of course, kind of like, you know, cheaping out and skimming on on, on the, the luxury tax bill with Garrett Temple. You know, Kyrie Irving did say that Garrett Temple was one of his best ever teammates. And, you know, he, he, yep. he really, well, not his best ever, but he just wanted to have him on this team. You know, we heard his comments in Boston about, you know, having a, a vet guy in the locker room to provide some, you know, experience and leadership and all those different things here and there. He provided that in spades as a Brooklyn net. You know, there were nights where, you know, he would hit, you know, three of six on the field. And there were nights where he went one of 12, you know, from three as well. But I think that Garrett Temple and the Brooklyn Nets in their current iteration, you could almost maximize all the skills that he does have. And you sort of look, especially if the Nets were to lose Jeff Green, I think Garrett Temple would be a, a pretty ready-made replacement for this. Not necessarily the, the the production offensively and the production on the court, even though I'm, you know, like I've said, pretty high on Garrett Temple. I think that the the level of experience, the the voice in the locker room, the the voice behind the scenes, the voice in the coaches' ear, uh, the, the the sort of bridge between the the, the players and the coaches. You know, Garrett Temple, you know, he just seems like he's going to be a coach one day, um, and I think that what he could provide this Brooklyn Nets team and what he's already provided this Brooklyn Nets team, you know, in a different situation now that they are contending. You know, the previous iteration was you know mentoring Karis Levert and you know having words to TLC and guys at half court and all these yep. sort of things. Um, the Garrett Temple experience, you know, coming back to Brooklyn, Nick, if we were getting for a vet minimum, you know, it'd be the opposite of the Garrett Temple podcast that we would do. <laughs> um, I think that the vet minimum is realistic for him. And I think, you know, as your third string point guard or your third string shooting guard, like that's okay. Or even if he was a guy that's like your 15th man, I think he'd accept that role because he didn't necessarily play very well in Chicago last year, I don't think. Um, but like you said, it's the locker room stuff that he really could provide. And also just like that, you know, utility tool that can fill in different roles. So 
the fact that he already has a relationship with some of the Brooklyn Nets, I think it's a realistic, you know, acquisition. Yeah, and I, and I talked about, I guess, the loss of Jeff Green. The Nets were to lose Spencer Dimity as well. You know, he sort of fills in that sort of guard position, backup guard in, in some form or fashion. You know, I think he's a guy that always stays in good shape. Um, yep. You know, he he's a, I think he's going to have a, he's going to like extend his career, not maybe not to, to Vince Carter sort of levels, but I think he's still got a couple years Jared left Dudley levels. Jared Dudley levels, let's put it that way. And, and I think that he's, He's got more in him. I think he's still got a little bit of pop. You know, um, th- there'll probably be some times next season where we see Kevin Durant give him a thumbs down if he were to try a dunk or something like that. Yep, 100%. Uh, another guy I had on my list that I think is a vet minimum possibility would be Wes Matthews. You know, I think he's kind of like a little wash version of 3 and D. Like, I think Danny Green would be a tier higher than him, or Wes Matthews is probably a grade down. You know, his three-point shot inconsistent, his defense a little inconsistent. But as a veteran veteran off the bench would be somebody at least you have that could play playoff minutes. Not necessarily you want to depend on him, but you feel comfortable putting him out there. Yeah, he's like a 2.75 D minus. Like rather than three and D, um, yeah, you know, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. There you go. He's he's not quite there, you know. For for those that probably you know that was a bit of a thinker, you know, probably not the best joke that I've made on this podcast. But in terms of Wesley Matthews, you know, I'm and and maybe when this signing does happen, we could get Corey on this podcast because he's he's lived uh, through the Wesley Matthews experience. It's about the, the the with these role players, it's about the situation for them. And I think yeah. you know the Lakers were quite an inconsistent team throughout this regular season. Um, and I think Wesley Matthews, Wesley Matthews, you know, again, you're losing Jeff Green, you lose Spencer Dimbley. Wesley Matthews is a decent enough replacement in that. You know, his production this season certainly wasn't to the level of the past. And I think he's probably only going to get worse, but maybe, you know, a, a Brooklyn Nets situation. In October. Yeah. And, you know, it, maybe it's uh, as a guy, whether he plays or not you know i think it's almost a bonus you, you want if you are asking to be you know your sixth or seventh man in the rotation maybe it's a bit much but you know there's also guys that have those sort of revitalized seasons because it's just about the situation for them you know um, and and guy and we sort of talked about you know the situation does matter for players you know unless you are you know those bona fide 1a 1b superstars who can just do it wherever you are you know you're the role player situation matters and Maybe the Brooklyn Nets bring out the best of Wesley Matthews. We sort of get him, you know, a Pacers sort of version of him, a, a, a Mavericks version of him. Um, but, you know, in terms of reliability and stuff, it might not necessarily be there. But the vet experience and the, the vet minimum sort of stuff, you adding him to the rotation, you know, it's, it's certainly not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, even if you add him more so as like, you know, a 9 through 15 player where he sporadically plays or just plays when guys are sitting out, I think you could definitely do worse than Wes Matthews. So I think just a, a guy that would also be looking to acquire a championship as well, where I think that kind of makes it a little bit more realistic as too. But Jack, what yeah. else you got? That's uh, th- those are the last, Leslie Matthews was my last name, Nick. And I got uh, uh, you, know, <laughs> you, you throw some more at me, but uh, yeah, I think that you sort of look at Wesley Matthews went to the Lakers to get a championship. You know, how did he feel about his season over there? Was he a fan of it? Does he want to re-up there yep. um, with a with healthy sort of team? Or does he think, hmm, you know, the East looks a little bit easier. I've experienced the West now. Now maybe I'll head back to the team that's probably uh, the most likely uh, in that conference. Yeah, uh, Langston Galloway is a guy I looked at, another vet, vet minimum possibility. You know, he's a really improved shooter. You know, he's had some really nice three-point shooting season, um, can provide some offensive spark. The defense is kind of that question mark. 
would just be a guy that you could get pretty cheap. I'm not sure he would really play. He'd kind of be more of one of those safety net options where, you know, someone gets injured, you need a little bit more offensive pop. He could probably give you, you know, 10 points off the bench or something like that. He's not terribly old either, Nick. You know, he's yeah. you know, heading into you know, his age 31 season. You know, he's, he's uh, no, age 30 season, sorry. Um, and look, this season for, for the, for the Suns, you know, in a and, and in the rotation more than he played, you know, he shot over forty two percent from three the year before, yep. nearly forty percent from three in Detroit. So that three point shot is there, and you know, there's a little bit of defensive chops. It's just obviously, you know, when you got you know Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder, you know, and, and even you know a, a guy like Tory Craig, that Phoenix doesn't necessarily have the the minutes for a Langston Galloway. It's almost he is a luxury, whereas he wouldn't be a luxury for the Brooklyn Nets. He'd probably get some some pretty serviceable minutes, and I don't hate that acquisition whatsoever. Yeah, and he's another guy where I think you could play him at the point guard position technically on the floor, like playing with that second unit. James Harden runs things, and Galloway just can kind of be the scorer that he is, which I think he fits a little bit more comfortably. For sure. Another guy I had was Sterling Brown. You know, he had an improved shooting season with Houston. I think he plays some solid defense, provides a little bit of toughness. I think that'd be a guy that you could also acquire at that vet minimum possibility too. Yeah, and and look, he is by no means uh, over the hill. You know, only you know twenty six years old. You know himself, so you know a, a guy that I think could add something. You know, he can probably even play. You know, pinch it at some small forward as well. Has a little He's bit tough. of size about. Yeah, pl- plays above his position. You know, yep. in that sort of realm, and you know, I think that we sort of. So we got out of Bruce Brown. You know, you might be able to get similar things out of. I'm not, again not comparing him to our our favorite and our messiah in, in BB, but <clears throat> Sterling Brown. You know, he's shown a little Brown bit. Of <laughs> it's a it's a Brown thing. Let's bring let's bring the Browns together. Let's get you know Jalen. Let's get some some other ones uh, out in Brooklyn. No, I like it. I think also the thing that really intrigued me was, you know, the three-point attempts from Milwaukee to Houston going from 2.6 to 4.2, but the three-point percentage going from 32% to 42% seems promising. Obviously, there's no pressure in Houston. It was a different type of role for him, so I'm not sure if they'd want to keep him or, you know, maybe he'd be looking for a contract or a bigger role, but he'd be a guy I think that you could actually play in the rotation and could possibly get playoff minutes. I know when he was on the Bucks, he really didn't play much in the postseason, but I think he's grown. For sure, for sure. Uh, also, uh, another guy I had that I think is a possibility would be Avery Bradley. Not to say that I love him, but I think as a veteran minimum, you know, he's an annoying defender. His offense is really inconsistent. He'd be more so like a vet option that you don't necessarily play in your rotation, but he could play. Yeah, it could be sort of like a, a P.J. Tucker-ish sort of role for him. And, you know, yep. obviously both PJ Tucker has proven that his offense is not there at all. <laughs> and, you know, that he needs a matchup defensively. And, you know, KD, again, isn't that matchup. You know, KD still puts up 49 points on him. But, you know, as a guy to just have in the rotation as a sort of an extra rotation dude who provides at least a skill, uh, whether it's high level or not, or at least somewhere near that, um, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, 100%. I think that's just kind of what you're looking at there. It's not like he's amazing, but he's just an experienced veteran that would be able to kind of do some dirty work for you. I think this other one is probably more so a pipe dream and maybe would be more relationship-based. And if the market kind of dried up and the Nets lost Spencer Dinwiddie and they're looking for some offensive pop off the bench, I wouldn't rule out Lou Will. There is certainly a world there because I can just, you could just imagine KD and Lou Will get on like a house on fire. 
just yeah. trading stories about like bucket getting like you know KD. I thought you meant you know, the game. <laughs> no, <laughs> look, look, just catching fire and just like yeah, it would be smooth as hell. Like there's not many more like smoother players than those two. Yeah, I, I just wonder what the the adult entertainment scene is like in Brooklyn and New York. It's uh maybe doesn't necessarily have the same level as Atlanta and as his hometown, but you know I, I think Lou will at this point in time probably. But it depends on what he values. I don't yep. think he's one of those guys who's like, oh, I want to chip, I want to chip, I'm going to go ring chasing. You know, I think that he's, we saw what he did, you know, in, in Trey Young's absence, you know, especially that first game uh, where he, he was injured. Uh, you know, he was awesome. Now, obviously, the level of consistency and reliability you get out of Lou Will isn't necessarily there. You know, he is maybe one of the worst uh, defensive guards yep. in the league. Um, and if you're playing, you would have to, you know, have an Avery Bradley out there or, or, or someone of that sort of nature to sort of cover him uh, in, in some form or fashion. So, look, uh, get the, the lemon pepper wings ready uh, if we get uh, Lou Will in uh, BK. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that he'd really do that I think the reason that I think just caught my eye would be he'd be the real safety net if a, a, one of your key guards go down. Like you just said, he popped off when Trey Young went down. Defense is horrendous, but you wouldn't necessarily be asking him to close games unless it was like a dire circumstance. I'm intrigued to see if he would, you know, championship hunt. He did take that really cheap contract with the Clippers, so I don't know if he's looking to cash out. He is about to be 35 years old in October, so um, he's won a million six-man awards. Maybe it's time to win a championship, and that could definitely happen in Brooklyn. And like you said, I could definitely see the vibes being cool with that team. And I want to say he played with – yeah, he played with James Harden a little bit in Houston too. Yeah, that'd be the the coolest – I mean, they already are a pretty goddamn cool team. You had Lou Wilton in that mix, man. That is going to be just a heap of fun. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Is there anybody else that we missed? I mean, there was like a couple names that caught eye. Uh, Tony Snell would just be kind of like the end of the bench guy. Shoots threes really well. 50 season. Wasn't it for him or something like that? Yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, he shot 56% from three, which uh, obviously he played very, very limited minutes. Uh, we kind of mentioned J.J. Redick already. Other than that, I'm not sure anybody truly catches my eye because I think you still kind of want somebody with at least a little bit of playoff experience. Like I think if you're adding, let's hypothetically say two guards, you probably are adding three given who you might lose. Um, you want at least one to be really, really experienced and maybe you take a flyer, another one, and then another guy is another experienced player. Like I don't think you want to waste spots on guys that can't really play unless there's some major potential there and they can already at least do one thing at a high level, be it Frank Nilkeen and Chris Dunn who can already defend at a high level. Yeah, I mean, all the names we've discussed, Nick, uh, we've talked about, you know, at the start, what we sort of want, you know, to sort of end the, the discussion, you know, uh, you're prioritizing 16 game players over 82 game players. Yep. You know, if it's what, whatever stretch of the imagination is, if you can't necessarily get those guys that you can rely on to be a, a fifth, sixth or seventh guy in the rotation in the playoffs, then that's when you start to look at, you know, your Lou Williams and, yep. and these sort of guys that might be able to chip in your Wesley Matthews, these sort of guys that can chip in here and there just to fill out the rotation in some form or fashion. A hundred percent. And like I said, I think, you know, some of your dream, the dream targets, obviously, ideally, I think we pretty much discussing this and even looking at the targets more, it's like resigning Spencer Dinwiddie would be super, super ideal. But if not, you know, acquiring a guy like Patty Mills or Danny Green could definitely check some boxes and not like, push this team to another level, but also could give you some different elements you didn't have last year, you know, be it Spencer was injured. Yeah, I think that if you just have a healthy player, you know, yep. that's, the, that's the thing at the end of the day, you know, the Nets were one crucial rotation piece, 
short in Spencer Dinwiddie, and you have Spencer Dinwiddie. Look, everyone talks about, you know, if James Harden or Kyrie Irving was healthy. There's a world where if Spencer Dinwiddie was healthy alongside Kevin Durant, the Nets might have won the, the championship. He said no doubt. I mean, Spence said no doubt that, that it was a lock. And I agree with him because I think he can do enough. Like, Spencer Dinwiddie dropping 30 points in a Game 7 is not something I couldn't see happening. Even if he just gave the Nets goddamn 17 points and 10 free throws, that might be enough. And competent defense, you know what I mean? Like, I love James Harden. The the player that we saw in game five, six, and seven was not James Harden. I'd rather have a healthy Spencer Dinwiddie over that player. Oh, I mean, James Harden yeah. would probably say that himself yeah. as well. Like He knows. And, and, and look, we all want Spencer back. Uh, we all want Spencer on the buzz uh, for, for that yeah. matter too. You know, if he is having to be leaving uh, the, the Brooklyn It's Nets more franchise. likely he'll be on the buzz if he resigns. So. True. So <laughs> fingers, toes, and every body part crossed. But yeah, the guard position is one. You know, we've dived pretty deep into all the names here. If there's any ones that we're missing, you know, feel free to shout us out, hit us up on Twitter, or hit us up in the DMs. But it's a, it's a pretty important position. And, and like, uh, you know, the wing and the center position, obviously, is one where the Nets are pretty weak at. But, you know, guys to provide the level of support to Kyrie Irving and James Harden, uh, don't, you know, uh, besmirk, don't look past that uh, as the uh, a pretty important role for this Brooklyn Nets team uh, in the 2021-2022 season. Yeah, and especially because I think you'll see more load management and rest from the Nets this year, even probably more than we saw last year, just given what happened in the postseason. And obviously, you know, there's a the potential of them drafting some guys at the guard position, in which we'll probably catch on, uh, touch on in a future show. But Jack, anything else you want to hit on before we get out here? No, nah, we've uh, we've hit it pretty much all of it, Nick. So I'm 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 pretty good with how things are going. Uh, we've probably missed a little bit of KD space as hopefully he's dunking on 10, 11 year olds and dudes who don't know what a double team is. <laughs> uh, agreed, agreed. And as always, you can find the buzz on all stream platforms. Thank you for listening. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming. And his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.